Welcome to another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneur's Podcast. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. And you can find me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at Justin Bizarro. You can also find the podcast at Justin the Food Entrepreneur's on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you, everyone, for listening in. It's a bright morning here in Colorado. I got up early this morning to talk to our friend here from the Netherlands, Amy Volkenfeld from Maracha. How are you doing today, Amy? Great. I'm great. Thank you, Justin. It's an honor to be on your podcast. <laughs> Thank you. No, I, it's uh, the Netherlands, Amsterdam in particular, has a very special place in my heart. Uh, Deborah and I have been there three times, and um, we actually got engaged there uh, back in yeah. February on Valentine's Day. Wow, on Valentine's Day even. That's great. Amazing. Yeah, at the Margar- I hope you loved it. <laughs> we did at well, the Marguerite Brug. At where? At the Marguerite Brug. Wow. Yeah, yeah. On the bridge there in, in Amsterdam. So pretty cool. So Amy, tell us tell us about yourself and and I guess people probably are gonna ask me, so I might as well ask, how are things in the Netherlands right now with everything that's going on? Yeah, I think they might ask that, yeah. Um, well, uh, I'm Amy. Um, I'm a pretty young entrepreneur, 22 years old. I just recently launched my matcha company, Maracha, and just getting things up and running right now. Uh, so far, it's been great. Um, I actually am still a student. My background is in international business communication. Uh, actually, it's my f- third study before I studied law, but it wasn't something for me. Um, I come from an entrepreneurial family, my dad being in the solar renewable energy business. Um, So I grew up with it and loving it so far. Um, Actually, my hobbies are salsa dancing and um, Latin music. So that's totally different than the food industry. Um, It's actually my first time working in the uh, CPG industry. So it's totally new, but I'm loving it. So, and um, what it's so far, oh, sorry, no, no, go ahead. <laughs> what um, right now, the situation in the Netherlands is not so good. Um, we're not locked down yet, um, probably maybe in the future we will, but people are just anxious. Um, all sorts of news, uh, let's are reporting stuff, and some is fake news, some is um, the real news, and that's not good at all. Um, it's crazy. People are, don't know what is, uh, people don't just know what's going to come and they're just trying to figure it all out, but it's, uh, it's not a good situation right now. Yeah. It's the same here in, in the United States. Well, in Colorado, they're going state by state in the United States. And in Colorado, we are quarantined basically until April 10th so far. So Mm. it's been interesting. Although our, uh, I'm obviously in the food business. Um, Deborah and I and my family and my coworkers and business partners. So we're still having to provide food for hospitals and long-term care homes. Although okay. our, our retail and our um, co-packing and our um, CPG goods, as you said, um, are down 10% of what they were last year So um, in revenue. Wow. So we have a 90% drop there. So that's kind of crazy from a business standpoint. But on the other side, we have our hospital business picking up and we do um, a lot of meals direct to consumers and 
to consumer homes like meals and meal programs and those seem to be doing pretty well because people aren't wanting to go to the grocery store because they're afraid so just like you yeah. guys no one really knows what's real and what's not real right now you know it's uh, <laughs> yeah it's like what's going to happen but is there a plan oh no there's no plan you know so everyone's like what what do we do so I guess it's just keep yeah. moving forward and spend some quality time with the family um, or yourself or building your business as you're doing. Yeah, it's not a great time, but just making it happen. I think it's also uh, a crazy time to be alive. Um, and lots of cafes and restaurants are closing down. So, Amy, you're mentioning that they're, the restaurants and cafes are closing down. So are people doing takeout food or grab and go like they are in the United States or the restaurants are just completely closed? Um, actually I've seen people, um, going into the takeaway market, like a business, but even, uh, restaurants, which didn't do that before, um, they're skyrocketing actually. Um, but the problem with that is that sometimes they just don't get enough revenue out of that. So they they're eventually closing down as well. That's tough. I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's totally changed, going to change the economy in the world. The good thing is, is everyone needs to eat. So food recovers, but yeah. I mean, I don't even know what the world looks like. I mean, I can't, I was reading a thing here in the United States where so many people have lost their jobs already. It's kind of crazy. Yeah, here that's the same. Actually, the government provided a new fund where we can get like 4,000 euro um, for struggling businesses, but that isn't hard, like that isn't enough at all for, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> for not, all the businesses. Yeah, you can't employ people for that or even <laughs> provide, that's not even enough to pay a person for a week, I guess, a couple people. No, no, it's not, so, not at all. Tell us about Maracha and and why you decided to start. I get the name now because you like salsa and Latin music. That's how you came up with the name. But tell us about what you do and what you're providing in this business that you're starting. Yeah, I, I'm really uh, actually surprised you got that, like with the Maracha and Latin music one. My brother came up actually with it. And it's a combination of my second name, Mara, and Cha, meaning tea in Japanese. So, but I love bachata, so it sounded similar. Um, but the thing is that um, Racha is a, a food and beverage brand um, focusing on matcha right now. Perhaps in the future, more products, but for now, matcha. And um, our mission is actually to change things around with drinks good for you and our planet. Um, I came up with the idea to in Bali on a beach in Bali, actually, back in 2017, when I was backpacking solo to Indonesia. And in Bali, I just uh, happened to experience matcha for the first time, and it blew me away. Um, I mean, it was this great product, which I've never tasted before. I did have many Asian friends, so I tasted like matcha ice cream, um, but not matcha tea. And it was just amazing. Like the first time I tried this, I got this feeling of being calm and focused at the same time and it was just a weird sensation and yeah <laughs> never looked back um so to tell something more about maracha um so back home again i thought like wow i just um experienced this amazing product and um 
I wanted to bring it to my home country, the Netherlands. And I saw that many um, companies just were doing more like a medical version of matcha, which I thought like, this is nothing like the experience I had in Bali because in Bali, all those places are really cool and like trendy and uh, nothing any medical or something. So I thought, okay, I just want to bring this crazy, like good product to a more of a younger um, audience and get their attention and not just the older people uh, drinking matcha for their health only. So, yeah. So, I mean, describe the the taste of it. And, and I think it's becoming more popular in the United States too, um, as around and around the world, but describe that the taste of it. I mean, and sort of why, why the difference in focus do you feel? What is it creating inside of you? Is it just because it's a tea and it's caffeinated or is there actual herbal benefits to it? There are lots of benefits, but the taste is, um, it's really weird. Like I cannot really describe it, but I'm going to try. Um, it's a smooth taste. It's a sweet because uh, matcha has an umami flavor in it. Um, it's actually the fifth sen- uh, taste sensation. Um, so an umami flavor, which makes the matcha sweet. Uh, it's smooth. It's uh, good matcha should not taste bitter at all. Many people don't like matcha because it tastes bitter, but I'm just going to tell you right now, that's not good matcha or not good quality matcha, what you're drinking. Um, so uh, further, what I can tell you is that matcha is actually great. It increases your metabolism. Uh, it boosts your immune system um, and energizes you as well because of the caffeine. And actually, matcha has a ton more of it than just regular green tea. So I actually also make the always make the equation that one espresso is equal to one matcha, which is pretty good. <laughs> um, so it's it's definitely an alternative to coffee and just the bad energy drinks which are out there. Yeah, I'm one of those energy drink persons here and there for sure because I love caffeine. Although I mostly drink coffee, um, but I have to try matcha. And my stepdaughter, she was. Um, she loves matcha and she's been talking about it a lot and she was just backpacking in, um, South America for three months, uh, cause she graduated early from college. But one of the things she's always talked about is matcha. I haven't actually tried it. So now I'm going to have to try it since you're, you've been on the show and I'm getting a little better of an understanding. So, um, you talked about the quality of matcha and I think that's important because, um, I don't. I think a lot of consumers out there and things that I've heard or people have tried matcha but not liked it. But I think that has a lot to do with the quality. And I know enough to be dangerous, uh, just so the audience knows. Even though I haven't had it before, I've done quite a bit of research now since um, Amy was coming on the podcast to understand what was out there. So I'm curious, how do you tell the difference? And if you're building a brand, how do you buy a higher quality matcha? Hmm. That's a really good question. Since I'm really trying to differentiate myself from all the other brands, because actually a first time I just went to the grocery store and just bought a matcha, the first one I could find. And the first thing I saw that it was just army green. That's the first sign of a bad quality matcha. You shouldn't buy that at all. <laughs> um, 
So a good thing is like the color, the more vibrant, the better, the vibrant green. Um, second of all, like it should come from Uji Japan. Uji Japan is just the place to be for the best quality matcha in the world, actually. Um, they also farm there traditionally. So all the matcha is Honsu shaded. So that's also the thing. Matcha should be shaded. If it's not shaded, it's not real matcha. Um, and then also the thing is that with uh, matcha, it shouldn't taste bitter, um, especially with ceremonial grade matcha. Um, lots of brands actually are no regulations for that, um, which is pretty bad, I think. But ceremonial grade matcha is often culinary matcha and culinary matcha is third harvest matcha and not ceremonial grade matcha because ceremonial grade matcha should be first harvest matcha so that's what you should be looking for when you want to buy a high quality matcha first harvest matcha um then you know it's good and the real ceremonial grade matcha um and then also like the packaging you should look uh, how it's packaged because matcha, good quality matcha should be packaged in a tin and not in a glass uh, tin because matcha is very sensitive to uh, light, air and heat. So those are the things that I would be first looking at when you buy your first matcha. <laughs> And so, I mean, that's an interesting thing about the color. So, I mean, if it's a dark green, like an army green, it's not a higher quality. You want it to be like almost like a bright, bright green color. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. And so here's something interesting. So it's got to it's got to be in the shade, but it still grows. So it's not, it's growing, but not directly in sunlight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's blocking out the sunlight. Yeah. That's that's kind of cool thing. Like I, that, I didn't read, so I'm now I'm fascinated by this. So they actually don't <laughs> want to expose it to sunlight, um, which I don't know what that does. Is there a reason that the sunlight is has a negative impact on it? Do you know? Yeah, it, what it does, the Honsu um, shading, which is the traditional way of shading in in Japan, is that it um, so by blocking the sunlight, you uh, boost the nutrients. Uh, it enhances the color and uh, brings out the sweet umami flavor. That's very cool. I, I like that a lot. And uh, you wouldn't think that blocking the shade would actually help something grow and become more nutritious, but that works. I mean, I'm like, okay, so that's a pretty cool concept. So, okay, so are you having to import in Maracha to build your brand? I mean, tell me about what what the next steps are, how you plan on building this brand in the Netherlands, like just sort of your idea and what your goals and next steps are. Um, I think first of all, like building a quality matcha brand, I think that's very important because there's so many bad qualities out there. And um, second of all, I think I'm totally targeting a new uh, demographic. Like uh, my brand is all about like, uh, young people, uh, millennials, especially, and that is just not there out there yet. Also, many people in the Netherlands are not so familiar with matcha yet, so that's uh, something that I have to figure out. Um, and I'm just doing that by working with other companies, uh, talking with them right now, um, and just 
My other business model was to uh, do events, but that's kind of difficult right now. Um, just getting exposure uh, in general is a little bit more difficult now um, because I'm just starting out and other brands, um, yeah, selling as well, but um, they already have an audience. So, and also I think in... Uh, getting an audience, I think social media plays a huge part, a huge role in that. So where can they find you on social media? Um, my social media on Instagram is maracha underscore official. And our website is www.maracha.com. Um, and on Facebook, we're just getting started. It's maracha official. And uh, my personal account is Amy from maracha. Will you, will you spell Maracha for everyone so they, they can look it up right now? Yeah, sure. Um, M-A-R-A-T-C-H-A. Um, and so, and then that's Maracha underscore official is where you can find you online, right? Yeah, exactly. So I love your, your image. Um Tell me about how you came up with the logo, because I think it's kind of a cool concept, the way you made it kind of put it on your brand. I like the colors. I like the vibrant green, which obviously now I understand why the bright green, because that's what Maracha, high quality Maracha needs to be. But tell us sort of how you came up with your, your logo. Um, I actually did a lot of research just looking at the things I liked. And I worked with the designer, shout out to Hong Kim. <laughs> and um, uh, I just worked with her and came up with this branding concept. Like I told her, like many brands out here, mar uh, matcha brands, they only use white and green. And I was just bored of that. I just wanted something fun. Matcha should be fun. It's not like uh, something medical at all. Um, so I just wanted to create this, a fun environment where focused on millennials and just, uh, yeah, creating a good product, which they like. So like if they go to a restaurant and they tell me like, or they tell the waiter, like, I would like a maracha, which should be a cool thing, like, and not something stupid or uh, bored, <laughs> boring. Yeah, more than just what they say about coffee or, I mean, in some places, coffee is fun, but in, in others, it's just I'm ordering my coffee. So I figured like this is a new opportunity um, and it's not just tea um, from what I can 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 tell. And I see a tagline here. It's just an antidote to unhealthy drinks. Yeah. So tell us about that. Um, well, I came up with that slogan uh, since... I just wanted to uh, portray this image of not just, I just didn't want to market matcha. Uh, I just wanted to create this image of healthy drinking, healthy drinks in general, like creating a healthy lifestyle. And um, I want matcha to be more than just a green drink. That's it. So I would, uh, I don't know if you have those brands in the in America, but in the US, but here we have like Sonatura, which is a very healthy brand, but yeah, just focusing on older people and just only the natural aspect of, of that. But I just wanted to create a Maracha, a cool brand, which is also healthy, 
Uh, and also, uh, one of the things which I should highlight as well is that we do any, uh, everything sustainable. Like, that's my number one priority is sustainability. Yeah. So, Amy, I'm, tell us about the three. I see there's three products that you have so far. Is that correct? Mm, yes. So, tell me what those three products are and sort of what the difference is between each one. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, the first one is a ceremonial grade matcha, which is like the top quality matcha. It's the first harvest as well. So look out for that. And, um, the second one is the premium grade matcha, which is actually unique since it's a combination of the first harvest matcha and the second harvest matcha, which is great for lattes, lemonades, cocktails, even. Yeah. You can just play it and have fun with it. Um, and the third one is the classic grape matcha, which is also pretty unique since it's the combination of the second harvest and third harvest matcha, which is more for like um, baking. If you're into baking, cooking, and um, all those sorts of things. Yeah. things. Well, and I want to talk about this because you said about being in Bali in 2017. And so what the audience doesn't know yet is that Amy is 22 years old. I hope you don't mind me sharing that. No, no. And so that means you were in Bali about nine, 18, 19 years old, somewhere around Yeah, I there. think it was 19. Yeah. And you've decided to become an entrepreneur. I mean, in the United States, kids are still trying to figure out college. Many aren't going the entrepreneurial journey. It's unusual. So... I mean, in the Netherlands, are, are you sort of an anomaly? Are a lot of your friends starting businesses as well? Is this something that's trending or is you're doing this on your own and people are like, Amy, I can't believe you're doing this? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the last one. Like people were, were thinking like, oh, there she comes with another idea again. I had so many ideas of what I wanted to be. Like I, like I said, I studied law. I wanted to be a liar or I wanted to be a singer or I wanted to, because I performed in a band for many years. And um, so I wanted to be all sorts of things. But the one thing which I always wanted to be is an entrepreneur. So uh, because my dad is one and I look up to him. So I thought, oh, wow, this is a cool thing. And the only thing which I didn't find out or figure out yet was what? Like, how am I going to become one and what in like, I'm going to do a service or like sell a product or what. So, um, yeah, then I went to Bali and, and discovered matcha and didn't look back ever since. I, I think that's pretty awesome because you've wanted this. This is something you dreamed. Of. I don't think, I don't think everyone understands what it's like to want to be an entrepreneur. I think I've noticed I'd wanted to be one since I was three years old and start, well, I mowed lawns. That was my thing. And then I had fruit stands and vegetable stands and so on and so forth and mowed fields because I grew up on a farm. So I'd mow other people's fields. So, but you have this thing that you want to do as an entrepreneur. So you had this burning desire inside of you. So I mean, it makes it hard to go to school, right? Because you're like, am I supposed to be in school doing what everyone else does? Or am I supposed to be an entrepreneur? So, I mean, um, tell us what that's like. I mean, you're in school right now, I believe. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, I'm actually taking a two-year gap year. Um, I actually got ill two years ago. So that's the time when I started my own company. Um, and then, uh, like... Yeah, I think education 
Like, I know that many entrepreneurs don't like school, but I actually do. <laughs> um, it's a good source to just learn. I went to university, so it's just a good uh, way to learn how to think academically. And I think it will benefit you all through your life. Uh, you just learn how to think on a certain level and you learn uh, classes such as I had entrepreneurship as well. You learn how to communicate in an international environment, in my case, and many things which are very valuable. So I wouldn't want to miss it for any. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to miss it. Yeah. And um, I actually spent time in Amsterdam and Rotterdam with uh, Aramis, the management school for business down in Rotterdam. Um, Rotterdam School of Management, I think it's called. Yeah. Um, they were a partner school because I did a program at the University of North Carolina and we had four other partners across the world, universities into one program called the One MBA. So I did go back to school and did go my master's even as an entrepreneur because I thirst, I have a thirst for knowledge and a thirst for that international business and doing business internationally. Not there yet as an entrepreneur, but I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to get there, um, and I and I've been fortunate enough to to do things with refrigerations and freezers and import in manufacturers from Asia and things like that. But I've never really got into it as much as I've wanted to. So I I have the same desire and interest that you do for sure on that international business piece. Um, mm -hmm. It's a little bit different, I guess, in Europe. If international business in the United States is, is like Mexico and Canada first, and then <laughs> the, this great big world where you guys sort of have all those countries together. Although I don't know how that is with the European Union now. I feel like it's so easy to move from country to country compared to when I've been there um, when I was a teenager. Yeah, we can just move freely around as long as they're in the Schengen area. Um, yeah, but it, it's not easy always doing business in Europe. I mean, people uh, are very different. Cultures are very different. Um, so that makes it hard as well. Um, yeah, people just don't understand each other <laughs> all the time. So I think it's it must be the same in the U.S. as well with all the states. Yeah, absolutely. I mean... I think we, we move pretty freely from state to state in the United States, but we have very different cultures, um, very different political views, I think, um, probably not as extreme as other parts of the world, our differences, but it feels different because that's what we live with. And we do have different cultures. We have different urban cultures. We have different farming cultures. We have different cultures from New York City to California to Texas. I think there's minor cultural differences, when, which makes it hard to do business. Um, and it's interesting. In the United States, we're actually, we, we had a very universal approach to food. Like it was very industrial, very big brands, very big products. And now what we're seeing is people's cultural preferences, people's personal preferences are becoming more important. So people are shopping more online, shopping more for specialty products like yours, Amy, um, that they want. They're not just buying the big brand stuff because that's what's there. They're actually going out there and finding what it is that they like and what matches their thing. So, you know, 
a person in Georgia doesn't necessarily like the same thing as a person in Texas, and they're finding that more often than not. I mean, we could go into the whole barbecue thing in the United States, which has always been different. You know, a Georgia barbecue is not the same as a Texas barbecue, but there's these differences that are coming up, which are really cool. So let's talk about, you know, what are the next stages? You've now got these three um, products for yourself. Where do you go from here? Um, I think it's it's um, figuring it out along the way. I have this whole list of ideas, which I are product ideas I want to launch. But first of all, I think you have to set your focus on one product, make that great, and then introduce slowly along the way uh, your audience to other products. I think if you do too many products at the same time, it's too much. People are getting confused and don't know what it's all about. So I think it's uh, I think it's a good idea to just launch the matcha business and do it in a good way. I mean, I think um, like you mentioned, um, I think in the U.S. people are a little bit more open and also open to the idea of trying new things. Here, people are a little bit more controversial, uh, conservative. So. Also, people are still shopping with the big brands here. So I would like that to be changed. Like, um, so that people also choose like for a smaller brand like Maracha and not only for the Lipton tea. Um, I don't know if Lipton is a thing in America, but here it's a big thing. Um, so yeah, um, I think slowly introducing new products such as CBD or kombucha is one thing that I would like. Yeah, the CBD thing in the United States is really taken off as well as kombucha. I think those are really cool things. And and when I was just over uh, in the Netherlands, and Deborah and I are in Europe quite a bit, we we like to travel. Um, we haven't seen those things as often, and I feel like it is something that will come to Europe for sure. Um, mm -hmm. And and it's there and CBD and well, you're in the Netherlands, so marijuana has been legalized there for a long, long time. So here in Colorado, it's almost been 10 years i think that marijuana has been legalized but we're starting to see the transition into cbd quite a bit and hemp and things like that which is really cool seeing the benefits of that as well and so there's probably a maracha cbd infused tea somewhere along the lines there i've got to imagine because it's like a two superpowers coming together I feel like yeah definitely the ultimate definitely. calmness and um, <laughs> that should be the name. I just came up with something. But um, so I think those are really cool. I just, I think one of the things that I am so fascinated by um, because I know what it's like and I remember, I remember being your age and feeling alone in my entrepreneurial ideas, um, you know, and it took me a lot longer to you to, like I did them and then I went to college and in the United States, they sort of the entrepreneurship is looked not looked at the same way. It's not encouraged, I don't think, um, as everyone thinks it is. Um, it's more like you need to go to work and you need to go get this job and you need to go work for someone else and you need to have a steady pay and how are you going to take care of your family and how you know. And so it was. I, I went through this weird period where I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. Like I sort of got out of college. I took an entrepreneurial job um, in finance. I didn't like it very much. 
um, and I started over basically in the food business, um, in my family's business in food. So I guess kind of entrepreneurial, but kind of, uh, involved in my family. And it would take me about four years before I really had the courage to go out and do the entrepreneurial thing again, which is kind of funny because I did it as a kid and I did it as a teenager and I did it through college, but then I got out of college and I had, I felt a lot of pressure from my peers because they had all these real jobs and I felt all this pressure that I needed to have this real job for my family. And I had a, uh, fiance at the time and she was like you need a real job and I'm like a real job what is a real job and it's one of those things where I just think you're in such a great place and you are doing it and like you know for me I wasted some years I call them wasted years I learned a lot and I learned a lot in business and I was able to be entrepreneurial as much as I could through my family business which I'm obviously still involved in but when I started spinning off things and learning on my own and forming my own businesses um, around the age of 26, 27, um, again, and getting back to that, that's where I got fulfillment. And believe me, they weren't successful at first. I mean, it was years. Um, I, I mean, I think it was about five, six years before I felt real success from something. Um, but it's not that they were failing. It's just that I was learning on a, on a very massive scale, mowing lawns and mowing fields and running fruit stands and all that was one thing. And I was easily successful because I could easily do that on my own. But when you start running businesses and you have employees and you're building products, and in your case, you're importing things, uh, from Japan and having to buy it and repackage, like those are all learning lessons. And I had great role models and I had great mentors Um, but I didn't have what's available today. I'm like, if I had available today, like there's podcasts, like the one we're doing, or there's, um, all these leadership and business podcasts that are so helpful. There's books, there's YouTube. I mean, there's so many things, I guess I could have probably read more books because they were available back then. So, Mm -hmm. but I mean, it's just so cool where you are and having the confidence to do it. I mean, do you ever feel like, uh, what am I doing or are in your heart, you know, this is where you want to be? Oh, definitely. In my heart, this is where I want to be. I've always wanted to be here, but I think it's also, I think it's kind of strange that it's discouraged so much. I know why I know the reasons people have for that, but I think I grew up with my dad saying always like start a business young because when you're young, you have nothing to lose. If you're older, you have so much to lose because you have to, you have to provide food for your family. You have to uh, do so many stuff. And when you're young, you're just more free. So I would definitely recommend to start your business young if you can. Why not? If you're healthy, if you if you have, also you can just start a business with then a. Uh, in your pocket. I mean, you can just trade, like go out there and do stuff. No, I think it's awesome. And so, I mean, tell me about your father. Does he, is he mentoring you right now? I mean, you have this great mentor in your life. So tell me about that relationship and how I, I assume it's pretty important to where you are and where you're going. So yeah, definitely. We're although we're not in the same industry, I think he plays a really important role 
especially when being young, you sometimes just need encouragement. I know I'm very lucky to have that because I know many people don't have this uh, support system as well. Um, but I think he just plays a very important role in talking like, okay, dad, am I doing right? <laughs> uh, am I doing it okay? You know, is this the right step? Um, and then he tells me yes or no. But I think also a very important part is I'm running the business and he is not. So you, he is always telling me like, Amy, you should do whatever you want to. Like, don't ask me. <laughs> like, uh, you should figure it out for yourself. And I think that's a, that's a huge part as well or a huge thing. Like, try, try, try. And I've, I've done everything myself uh, up until now besides the branding then, but also the legal work. Like I did everything myself and my dad didn't help me with that. I just Googled, Google is your best friend or YouTube. Uh, everything uh, is available online and we're very lucky to be alive right now. Like not right now, particularly because of the virus, I'm sorry, but like, I mean, it's a great time to be alive with the uh, uh, technology. Like the internet is a huge no, and I, I agree 100%. And I like what you said. And actually, your father's advice is probably a good one. Because even if he told you what to do, you'd probably do what you want and learn your lesson anyway. So it's uh, it's one of those things. I know that that's been true for me. I mean, my father's been a businessman, CEO, and billion-dollar company. And, you know, and still, I even to this day, I mean, he's almost 80 years old. And, and I'm just turned 40 um, last December, and I still don't listen to him very well. You know, maybe like 50% of the time he gives me advice, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And, you know, rolling my eyes or whatever. But I mean, he's right a lot of the time, but I don't really learn unless I do it myself. And I think that's also part of being an entrepreneur is we're stubborn and uh, <laughs> we want to do things our way. And we have these ideas that we need to flush out. And for me, I know that it's hard for me to tell people what my idea is because sometimes I start going down a road and I don't even know fully what the idea is yet. I just know that's the direction I'm going and it, it makes people very unsettled. And I think that's what makes people uncomfortable about entrepreneurship is there's no real goal. You're just sort of, I know this is what I want to do. Um, I know this is the direction I'm going. I don't know what my quote-unquote upward mobility is going to be meaning how I'm going to rise up or how well exactly. my business is going to do but I do know that I need to go that direction exactly because in in my uh, study we had this entrepreneurship class as I already said and I learned so much it was so helpful like knowledge wise but practically <laughs> you learn nothing like you have to figure it out along the way like there is no course which tells you how to do your financing or how to do look up how to do your packaging because there are so many strict labels for food packaging and i don't know like i looked up uh, i looked up all the export requirements for labeling because i want to export as well and they're all in a foreign language. And where do I go to the embassy to ask them what are the regulations? Like there is no guidebook for that. So it's really, it's sometimes really difficult and sometimes you feel lost, but you just uh, get to, well, you just got to keep your goal. Your ultimate goal is being an entrepreneur. And that's what you've always wanted to be. So that's what you should pursue anyway. 
regardless if it's hard or not. Yeah, and I love what you said, actually, and it's it's so true. Like you can go into a classroom and they'll they'll teach you, and there's sort of entrepreneurship, but really what they're teaching you is that you know nothing, and you in learning from the past is not going to help the future because if you're an entrepreneur, you're blazing a new path, and so, like you said, your product is something different. You're you know you're not your your typical tea or your typical coffee or whatever or energy drink what you're doing is you're blazing a new path in the netherlands and in europe and hopefully the world eventually in that you're creating a higher quality higher brand that's different it's a differentiator and so to do that you can't rely on what someone else has done in the past and you can read you could read the book on Starbucks, for example, and this is a bad analogy, but I'm gonna give it anyway. But and try to do maracha shops, but like it's a it was a different time. It was a different there were different expectations. And even to your point, the labeling's different. I mean, in the United States right now, we're about to go through a major label change on the way we do our nutritional panels. And so, you know, that's coming. So you're it's a constant moving target. And you've got to be willing to do it. And I think what people don't understand about entrepreneurs is there is this wealth of knowledge that you accumulate, like, because you have to, like, like you said, you taught yourself the financial, you taught yourself the legal, you're teaching yourself the labeling, you're teaching yourself all of those things. So, I mean, let's talk about that. Uh, designing a package. So how did you design your packages? I mean, you talked about it's better in a tin, so I assume you put them in tins. But talk to me a little bit about how you went through that whole process and how long it took to sort of design the label and the packaging. Well, it took me over like over almost a year, a long time. I just wanted to make sure I got all the legal work before that, like ready. Um, like figuring out what are the requirements for packaging in a legal way, because that's the funny thing as well. Like you mentioned big brands out there, but honestly, when I knew how to do packaging and I go out to a supermarket and I look at other brands, big brands, they're pretty much like 18, 90% is doing it wrong. Like (laughs) I was so surprised. I thought like, these big brands should like, they must be doing it right. They know what they're doing. They have this whole legal team, but, <laughs> but no, no, not at all. Uh, so that was a funny thing, but I'm happy I did that because there are also many uh, agencies out there which do it for you. Uh, so I want to give that as a tip as well. So, but they charge a lot of money and uh, it's better to do it yourself because then you know uh, how it should be done. And then if you later on decide to work with an agency, they can't rip you off because you know what the legal stuff is. Like, so um, that's a tip for me. But um, then after that was finished, uh, because I had to translate uh, it also to other languages. So I got tons of help from my friends um, from that, from other countries in Europe, because we, I have five different languages on my packaging. So I'm very thankful for those people. Um, but I translated that and then I started the design work um, with my designer and we came up with this idea, but like it took, we had six prototypes. I actually have one here, like six prototypes and I chose one of them. And I just asked my friends, like, 
um, all millennials, which which is my target audience, of course. So I asked them, like, which one do you like the most? And I actually numbered them from one to six. And then I marked like, okay, this one likes this one, this one likes this one. And then I thought, okay, most millennial people like this one. So I think that's the one to go with. So that's that's basically how it went. I just asked my and um, uh, yeah, asked them which one they like the most. And uh, but overall, it took like yeah, like a year. It was a long, long time. And I think it's so cool because what you did is you used the resources that you had. Your friends are the your target market, so you're the same age roughly, and so having them as your target market is just ideal. So why not ask them and go out and do it? The other thing that's crazy interesting that I can't even wrap my head around right now because it's hard enough in the United States to get a label done in one language. And it's like in English. And so for for you to do it in five languages, I think that's so cool. So what other countries are you hoping to go into? I think this is a cool concept because you're already going, quote unquote, international with your brand. Yeah, actually, that's quite funny because many people were following following me and are interested in my brand come actually from the U.S. So so that's quite funny, I think. Um, but actually, uh, just another tip for me, I think it's, it's um, good for your audience to know is that the U.S. actually has the best resources for going internationally. I had tons of help from uh, the U.S. Embassy. I don't know if if uh, that's a thing, but I wanted to just quickly mention it. You have, in the U.S., you have the FAIRS reports. Just Google it. And they have this really detailed report of doing business in Europe and how the labeling uh, should be and what it should be like. So <laughs> the U.S. is the way to go. <laughs> like you're in a good country. Um, but yeah, it's um, um, it's pretty difficult, like translating it and especially like looking up uh, how it all works because we have this European Union, which is pretty great. And we have these rules, uh, general requirements are they called. But then the thing is that in each individual country, we have different rules again. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would say go to your embassy or go to the embassy and ask them where to look um, and where uh, where to find the resources which can help you. Well, and if you want to, I can help you as well. I have a whole list. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, Amy, so anyone can reach out to Maracha Amy I, on Instagram right and and ask you questions yeah amy from Maracha. i'm happy to amy help from because Maracha, many people sorry. help yeah many people help me as well not like don't overload me but i'm happy to help it's still eight o'clock so everyone knows normally i'm up about six thirty-seven, but during the quarantine hours i'm i get up at eight o'clock now because for some reason i am so i've really shifted my schedule i'm up to like 1 a.m in the morning 2 a.m in the morning you know i watch a a show or something with my um, fiance Deborah and her sister's here. She's been quarantined here. She's from California, so she's been here. So my schedule's a little bit screwed up, and I'm I'm working more also than normal because um, I love to work. I don't know what it is. Work? It's not work to me. It's fun and play, and I love being creative and designing things. And 
I'm in my lab, I call it. I'm in my lab and I'm like being a mad scientist and I'm preparing for when this thing is over, what food world's going to look like and my new yeah. entrepreneurial journeys. Um, I've got a few I'm cooking up here in my lab. But um, so I'm a little screwed up. It's just turned eight o'clock. So I'd normally just be getting up right now, uh, embarrassingly. But I think that what's what you're doing is so cool and your confidence is so cool because thanks i mean it really in you know in the united states 22 year olds are not thinking about business um i mean and i would say even less so than when i was a kid it's different and yet there's more resources yet there's more fear. Parents don't want their kids to be entrepreneurs because they're scared there's no certainty in their future. You know, and I get that. I, I understand that. But at the same time, I also know what the difference is from working for someone else and, and working for yourself. Although even as an entrepreneur, you're always working for someone because now you're working for your customers or your clients, depending on what that entrepreneurial journey is. But it's just such a different lifestyle and a different freedom. I wouldn't say I have more time than I would working in a building or a corporate job, but I have more joy. And the quality mm -hmm. time that I have with my family and my stepdaughters and Deborah and my my family, my parents and my sister and, and all of that and, and extended family, it's just different. And friends, I, I value them more because of who I've become. And, and that's huge. And the other part, Amy, that you said that I think is so important that you need to have as an entrepreneur is that willingness to constantly learn and willingness to do it yourself. You don't need to hire someone anymore to do a lot of these things. And so, no. I mean, you just used the internet and, and to anyone out there, the United States is a plethora of business information. Um, there's so much information available from the United States because the United States happens to be a very enterprise-friendly, I'll call it, um, entrepreneurial-friendly, business-friendly environment. They encourage a lot of people to go internationally. They they have the resources for us to do it. We, we encourage business for the most part. I mean, some states are a little bit different than others, but as a whole we have the resources there. Um, now taxes and all that, you have to go state by state in the United States. But um, there is the information out there. You just got to be willing to learn. And the last thing I want to say about what you said about learning is, yeah, if you have to hire someone, you can hold them accountable because you've done it yourself for the labels, for example. But the other part of that is, if I'm going to have employees or I'm going to build a business one day, I need to know what it is that they're going to do or they're doing because I've done it myself or I have no way of really understanding the teaching that goes on. And I mean, you know, on my family business side of food service partners, there's people making food and sandwiches every day in the hospitals. You know, there were a couple of years when I first started, I never actually was in a kitchen making food. I had counted carts, I had done inventory, but I never had made the food. So 2005, we opened our Brooklyn facility. I literally was in the kitchen 
working with the employees making food and 300 gallons worth of spinach and just a, a story so everyone knows i literally dropped my cell phone in a whole thing of 300 gallons of spinach and uh ruined the whole batch yes we had to throw it all away because I, my phone fell in there and so but you learn things like that and and you need to learn the business that you're going to run or build because without it you know you can't hold anyone accountable so i think it's really cool mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I just think you just have to start somewhere. And by starting somewhere, it's better than starting not at, not at all, actually. So um, let's talk a little bit about this because I think people are still like, oh, gosh, how did she start and where did she start? And one of the things that's interesting is you said it took you a year to learn all the legal side and the information for the packaging. That's why it's important to start young because there's so much time you need to spend to actually learn something and there's no shortcuts, right? No, actually (laughs) I'm always surprised like because I'm not a successful business, uh, business at all yet. Like Starbucks, for instance, no, but like, uh, successful businesses aren't built overnight. So you you have to start somewhere. And um, it's, it's especially hard being young because sometimes people don't take you seriously at all. <laughs> um, so that's the thing as well. I actually went to this company and actually that was my first real official meeting with someone. So I actually brought my dad and they looked at my dad all, all along. And I was like, Hey, I'm here. <laughs> like, um, talk to me. Like it's, <laughs> um, I'm financing everything. So it's not my dad who is investing in me. Like, no. So that was a thing as well. But, um, yeah, it's, it's just figuring out um, what you want to do first of all, and then and then um, like for instance, the first thing I was I did was actually pretty funny. I just looked up how to start a tea business, and there was this YouTube video, and I uh, watched it like two times or something. And now I I look at I look back at it, and I thought like, why didn't I know that? This is so easy right now, like. So you learn and you learn along the way and it's fun. Like you should have fun with what you do because then you never work a day like me. I love what I do. And I think that's awesome. And so, I mean, your recommendation really, I would say, is just do it, right? Just start learning and and doing your research. Yeah, exactly. Just start. Start with like, even though it's something small, just start. And it might not work, but you learned a ton. Like for me, instance, I never thought I could do Photoshopping. Now I do Photoshop. I take the photos all by myself, like, or pictures, sorry. They're, if you look at my website, they're all taken by me. <laughs> and they're, uh, so, yeah, they're Photoshop sometimes, but uh, I never did that before. Um, so that's something I'm proud of right now. Like you learn so much, which is, I, I built the website actually by myself. So that, that took me like six months. I never, uh, coded before. So I, what I did was I Google like uh, codable, I think it's called, but I don't know if I can mention that here, but it's called codable. Yeah, I just absolutely. like was, okay. It was a free course and I just learned how to do HTML and CSS, which is needed for, to build a website. So I learned that. So 
I actually, one of my goals for 2019 was to learn new stuff. And I never thought I would learn those stuff. Like I'm not a tech savvy person at all. So um, yeah, that was, that was fun. Uh, like learning new stuff and doing it. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned Codable because my other stepdaughter, not the one who traveled in South America, Zoe, her boyfriend is using Codable right now just to teach himself code. I mean, he, not for any real purpose in that, um, he, I mean, he's an athlete and, and wants to be a professional athlete. So he's doing it in his spare time, but it's interesting. You're, that's the second time I've heard it and I'm like, okay, but I want to talk about the website thing too, because historically I always thought that I didn't know how to build websites. I had enough information to be dangerous and I took website building in college and, but I never really practiced it. And so I had always had everyone else build websites. And even now, Food Service Partners, we're about to launch a new website. I have um, the, our director of marketing and media. Uh, she's working on it, so I'm not involved in it. But I am in the process of building my own online store myself for food. And I'm actually teaching myself the programming as well. So I've started using Codable as well. So because, like I said, my stepdaughter's boyfriend told me about it so I'm learning it but I'm 40 years old and I'm just learning to build a website you think I was born during the industrial uh, information technology boom sorry um, I should know this but you you can learn anything at any time and it's all available so easy in any way you want to learn it you can read about it you can do it and you can actually practice it yourself and I have to say, I love your website. I love the colors. I love the flow. It's really cool. So, Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And so, Amy, as we start to wrap up the, the podcast, one, I would love to have you back on again in a couple of weeks so we can really dive into the entrepreneurial thing now that you've experienced the podcast and the way we do the interviews and stuff. I'd like to have you back on. Um, Thanks. You're our first person from the Netherlands. So there you go. That one's off the map. So we're good there. And, You're going uh, international. Yeah, yeah. We've gone international. I've done two from England, uh, uh, two from Australia, and one from Thailand. So you're wow. my first Netherlands. This has been one I've wanted because... Um, so everyone knows the Amsterdam is by far Deborah and I's favorite city on the in the world. I don't we love going there. We anyone we stay at this Amsterdam Marriott. It's down near the Bulldog. So if anyone knows the Bulldog, it's the famous and I think the first marijuana shop or coffee shop in uh Amsterdam, but I'm not positive about that. But it's kind of cool. I think so too. We walk everywhere and it's a beautiful city and it's just everyone is so nice there. You know, it's just so nice. And maybe I'm wrong. I have this fantasy because I'm a tourist, but it's um, it's a really cool place. So thank you, Amy, for coming on the episode. I hope we can get you back on in a couple weeks. Thank you so much. I had a pleasure being on your podcast. Thank you. Yeah. So is that a yes? You'll be back on? Oh, yes. I would like to. I love talking to you. Thank you. So I got a question for you. I mean, it was pretty bold for you to come on the podcast. I mean, 22 years old, I would not have gotten on a podcast or I guess they didn't exist back then. But it was, um, you know, ha tell me about that a little bit real quick before we get off because it was pr it's pretty brave of you. You've never met me before. I'm literally a half a world away. <laughs> 
and you're just like, I'm going to do this because I want to build my brand and, and I want to talk on the podcast. I mean, how did that sort of, or you're just like, I jumped and I didn't really know what I was doing. It's actually my first podcast ever. <laughs> so um, that's a thing. But I just, I, I thought you were, I listened to one of your podcasts before, before, and then I signed up and I thought it was just so cool the way you did it. I loved it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to sign up. Like what's the worst thing that could happen? He could say no. So like, uh, yeah, I signed up and that was it. Like, and I don't regret it at all. No. <laughs> so I'm actually pretty happy. Oh, Thank that's you. good. So no email or DM afterwards. Uh, Justin, please don't release the episode. <laughs> No, I, I I won't do that. Uh, and actually, so the audience knows in the history of this is episode one fifty five. I do actually have one episode that I is still setting out there. I think it's like one twenty something. I don't remember the number, but where I recorded a podcast and I the person wanted to listen to it and they listened to it and they still haven't let me release it yet. Um, it's very interesting. Yeah. So I have this one episode. If anyone ever actually goes, they'll notice that the number order, there's a skip. I skip a number if anyone really pays attention. And I know there's a lot of people out there that do, cause they always ask me and I haven't answered, but I figure I'll answer now in that I sent it out and the person asked me not to release it. They didn't like their interview. They didn't like what they said. And they said some pretty controversial things, I guess, from their point of view, I didn't find it controversial, but, um, so they've actually had me hold on to this episode for, for like ever. And so now I'm like, which is, was different than back then I used to record them and wait to release them. Now I record and release in 24 hours. So there is no going back anymore, but you know, here's how I feel about it. Get your story out there. And, and that's what you're doing, Amy. And it took a lot of courage to do what you did and say, I'm going to do this, um, I mean, our podcast now, I think we just saw the other days in 106 countries around the world. So we have people that are listening in, particularly like yourself, that are young and in other countries around the world. Like what we're finding is there's a lot of 20 to 27-year-olds, 28-year-olds in the rest of the world that want to be more entrepreneurial, that are having economies that are growing, that want to change the way things are done in their countries and, and, and want to start in food and they have family businesses or a family recipe or like yourself, they discovered something while on a trip and they're like, how do I bring this to my country? And so mm-hmm. it's really cool. So I'm glad you said yes, because then you're telling me not to cancel the podcast. So that's good as well. So Amy, um, I asked you this already. Is there anything you want to tell the audience before we get on and before I pick your brain again in two weeks? <laughs> well, I think uh, for me, the thing was just to get out there. And uh, for me, I saw a gap in uh, in the matcha industry and I actually wanted to do it totally different, like all sustainable. And that was the main thing for me doing it differently and I would encourage you to just get started and figure out or like if you don't have it figure out yet just start with something you like and if you don't know what you like (laughs) go and live and then you will figure it out um and um yeah look at my website uh go check out my social media and um 
I think if you want to try matcha, we ship worldwide as well. Um, so there, go there, try it out. There you go. That's incredible. I didn't know you shipped worldwide. You're already on an international. That's incredible. So yeah. actually, before I get off, I mean, are you packaging and shipping it all yourself? Yeah, we do. I actually ship uh, and package with uh, social workplace by people with special needs. So that's something I uh, really am passionate about and um, doing something good for the community as well. Okay, we're going to really dive into that on the next one. So I'm going to actually ask if you'll come back maybe next week, next Tuesday, and come back on maybe same time we can do another podcast. <laughs> That's pretty quickly. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, or in, or in three weeks. I have more stuff to tell you maybe. <laughs> okay, let's do that. But I want to get you back on because I want to talk about what you're doing and how you're packaging that stuff. I like that concept, the special needs um and what you're doing in your community, your sustainability attitude is not just in your product, but it's also no. in your environment. Um, Everywhere by, we like, go we ahead. ship sustainably with vegetable ink, FSC paper, like everything. Like I have this rule that plastic um, pa uh, tape is not allowed; it's banned. <laughs> like so, I'm very strict with my sustainability rules, and actually, one percent of uh, profits go to to nonprofits, which I chose by myself because small organizations so that the money doesn't go to the piggy banks of the CEOs. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'm very strict and I'm very, especially very passionate about it. Like I actually started with my sustainability program because I was actually um, picking up trash from the sites, uh, streets from my neighborhood for months. Actually still do it nowadays, but more than every single day. And I saw like how much rubbish there was on the roads. And um, every day I had this full bag full of trash. So I thought I had to do something about it. So that's why I'm very passionate about it. And my dad being in renewable energy as well. So very <laughs> sustainable living is very important nowadays, especially nowadays. I mean, yeah. And I, I keep trying to end the episode, but I got to say this as well. We, if you want to be an entrepreneur, you have to do what Amy just did. And we talk about it a lot on this podcast. And, you know, I talk about if you see a shopping cart, put it away in the, sh in the grocery store parking lot. In the United States, everyone leaves grocery carts everywhere except for where they belong. It's unbelievable. But that's the type of thing. Amy went around and picked up trash in her neighborhood. You want to be an entrepreneur, you got to live. That's the way you have to live. You have to do the right thing all the time even though it may not be your responsibility, even though you may not think it's the thing that you should do or you have time for it. Number one, it is our responsibility. Number two, you do have time for it. And number three, you have to start doing those little things in life if you actually ever want to be an entrepreneur. Um, and, and I was fortunate enough to grow up on a farm where I always understood that. So I had a leg up and Amy's just doing it by nature. But if you want to be an entrepreneur or you are an entrepreneur and you want to be more successful, you've got to do all the little things right that even don't have anything to do with your business. Because what she's done is she, because her father's in renewable energy, because she picked up trash, she's made sustainability a staple of her product. And it's what defines it. It makes it different, including the package. She doesn't even use tape, which I don't know how you're sending a box across the world without tape, but... I'm going to have to order some and see how this comes. So 
you will there are be great getting, alternatives. I'm kind of, I'm going to order some because I'm curious about this because I love this non-tape thing and tape's always been a very frustrating thing with me. You know, some kids had trouble with glue. I had trouble with tape. So uh, any way to, to do that would be awesome. So Amy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It sounds like she's like, no, not a week, three weeks. So we'll hopefully we'll get you back on in three weeks. And, and if you like your episode, I, I hope so. Um, we'll get you back on. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Pleasure <laughs> thank, was. Thank you. It was. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. And everyone listening in, if you like what we're doing on the podcast, please, Amy's just taking her time. She's sharing her story. She's trying to help out everyone in the audience. Uh, we don't do advertising or anything. We don't take advertisements. Uh, in fact, we actually turn them down. We get a couple interests every week. Um, I want the show to be about the entrepreneurs that are beyond the show. And I feel like other food and beverage companies coming on to try to advertise their products would take away from the food and beverage entrepreneurs that are on our show. Um, so I turned down any advertising and, and even that I don't cloud it because I have advertisers that want to come on that do shoes or bags or sports apparel or whatever. And I turn those down as well, just because I want it to be about the people's products and the people that are on the podcast that we're interviewing, like Amy, like Maracha. So please share the episode. You know, we don't, we don't use anything to advertise the show because we don't take advertisers, but please share it. If you like what we're doing, pass on our stories, uh, help out the entrepreneurs, help out yourselves. Or if you know someone that's wanting to be an entrepreneur, please pass on the episodes um, so they can be helped as well. So thank you everyone for listening in and have a great Tuesday. Tuesday.